0: Hey guys, welcome to the We Are Men podcast. I am your host, Carl Mason. And in this podcast, we sit down and talk with local heroes from Southwest Sydney about life, mental health, and strategies for coping with the day-to-day issues that we all face as men. Our aim with this podcast is to create a space where men can open up and discuss their mental health without the fear of shame or exclusion. I know it can be hard to ask for help as a man, but no man needs to struggle alone. We hope to encourage all men to talk about what they're going through and seek help when they need it. A quick note, this podcast may feature some adult language and suicide may be discussed, which could be triggering for some listeners. Today on the podcast, we are chatting with Jim. Jim is from Appen and is the president of the Appen Men's Shed. Jim is a man of many talents and taught himself the harmonica, the ukulele, and has now taken up the accordion. Jim is retired after a highly successful career and is actively involved in his men's shed. Jim enjoys supporting and encouraging other like-minded men and bringing them together to encourage and support those who may be having a tough time. Let's jump in and have a chat with Jim. All right, before we kick off, Jim, I just want to say thanks for being a part of this project. Um, we're all very passionate about this and think men having a chat is important and uh, why you having a chat with us. We think a lot of men will be inspired to also have a chat, um, which we think will help with a lot of men out there who don't like to talk about what's going on.
1: That's true.
0: Uh, So let's start off easy. Can you tell us a little about the Men's Shed and your role in the Men's Shed?
1: Well the Men's Shed out here was set up um, back in uh, 2013 I think and uh, started small beginnings and the chaps raised uh, about $100,000. Got some grant funding and got some land from council and built a 30 by 15 metre shed not far from here and uh, moved into it and been fitting it out ever since and the membership's gone from 20 to uh, something like 54 on the books at the moment and uh, it's a place where you can come and sit and talk or you can bring a project in or you can join in the activities and uh, things that we get involved in Um, you leave your ego at the door A lot of the people in the shed actually suffer from depression. There's a very high rate of um, medication for depression amongst the membership and others have got terminal illnesses um, and they like to try and talk about that. Uh, One chap said the other day, because of the shed, uh, they've claimed he should have been dead two years ago, but because of his activities and going flat out keeping himself busy, uh, a lab in America has asked for blood samples because the cancer he's got is so rare and would have killed him ages ago and they believe it's part and parcel of the mindset created by the shed and himself that's kept him going. So um, we do fundraisers, we help the community out, we generally stay within the borders of our charter and uh, generally try and have a good time. Apart from those good art of things, today for instance we've got a barbecue on down there once a month and... Uh, They'll no doubt, after our big sale on the weekend, they'll be looking at the, uh, the books and having a bit of a, a rundown on what happened there. But uh, there are many different walks of life in the shed, from firemen through to trades unionists, through to uh, business people, and Jenny uh, park the politics at the door, and uh, religion, and uh, go from there. Yeah, it's uh, something to do on a Wednesday, uh, we also open on Friday and Saturday for people to have a job, come in and do a bit. Perfect. Yeah.
0: What? Uh, why do you think it's so important for these men, you know, having this space to come and do this work?
1: Oh, I think a lot of people never prepared for their retirement. A lot of them got a medical retirement or whatever, and and once again, uh, we're talking about the depression, anxiety, and etc. It's something that strikes you down, and then you're looking for a way out or something to do that's not <clears throat> too difficult, you don't have to think about it much, and to come out to the shed and get involved with other people who suffer the same problems and uh, they, uh, they find it a lot easier to uh, relate and gives them something to look forward to during the week, yeah. so, uh, yeah.
0: What, uh, a lot of these men coming up uh, by their own decision or are they being brought up or how, how do they get involved?
1: <laughs> Some, uh, we've had them referred from doctors <coughs> who are in the know local doctors, um, by word of mouth, um, some women have driven up and just dumped them there and said, "God, sake, take him, take him." You know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they're all different areas. Yeah, and all the sheds are different. Not, it, no shed is the same. They have different focuses, different ideas. Um, there's even one shed down the coast on Tuesday that the people that meet there only speak Spanish, so in a form of uh, getting into the culture, etc. So. It's um, there's even one shed down the bush I know about. The men said we don't need a shed because we've all got sheds, so the women took it over. So it's varied. Yeah. There's
0: um so there's a pretty strong community in the shed.
1: Yeah, pretty well. Yeah, uh, we've got sections. Uh, we've got the engineers they call the oilies. We've got the uh, the wood turners they call the termites. Um, the gardeners they're the aphids, and then there's the thinkers down the back at the table that just. Uh, Plan and scheme and talk and drink coffee, you know.
0: <laughs> so, and you're the what's your role in the men's shed?
1: Oh, recently I was elected as the president of the shed. Um, I was scheming to have someone else slid into the job, but they, the buggers ran around, got the nominations on me and signed me up and uh, made me an offer I couldn't refuse. But the reason that I put up my hand was that our president was clearly stressing out. He was going down under the weight of things membership had grown, he'd had health issues, etc. And I put it to him one day, he wasn't going too well. He said, I'm not really. He spoke to his wife about it and she said, thank God somebody else can see it. And he had the president and secretary job. I said, would it help if we split it? He said, it would. He said, I can do the technical stuff. I just can't do the bullshit. So
0: I copped it. <laughs> so Jim, you, you've had in your own history, your, your own um, tough time. Can you tell us a little about the work you were doing that led to that?
1: I was working for a trade union um, and basically, as an organiser, you was just your own operative. You had your set of um, workplaces to look after. And unfortunately, um, from my workplace, when I came from there to the union, I had it structured so that we dealt with our own problems. We really needed an organiser, but the councils I took over, they didn't have any of those structures. And a lot of it was like calling the NRMA every time there was a problem. You know, every member wanted to see an organizer, so it became onerous. And I ended up with the biggest councils in Sydney and most of them actually. And uh, it became sixteen hours a day, eating crap food. Also, had a country run that went right out through Broken Hill and right out through there. So six weeks of the year beyond the road out there, or going out when needed. So there was a lot of driving, and. Uh, and actually I was having a great time, I really enjoyed it and that's the problem, you're in it, you don't see it and uh, I realised ultimately they had to get out of organising and get into the industrial side of it, the uh, legal side so we went and did a short course at TAFE on uh, industrial law and uh, eventually ended up being an industrial officer just doing the court work EAs, award applications, unfair dismissals and all that But um, Prior, just prior to doing that, I uh, was working at the city one day, and uh, <clears throat> oh, sorry, just before that, I was talking on the phone to a chap regarding annual leave, and I went to tell him the answer to his question, and it had just come out goobly-goo. I was just tongue-tied, you know. And I thought, God, like in your mind, you think, oh, what the hell was that? And I, I tried again, and it wouldn't come out. And then I said to the guy, "Look, I've got a problem. I'll get back to you." And he goes, "All right." And so I went home, never thought about it much more. And then about oh, three weeks later, I was walking down to the, the city council and the girl in the coffee shop, and I got some smokers, she said, Geez, you look like shit, Jim. And I am oh, good on you. Kept going. And I got about 100 yards and another bloke said, Christ, you look horrible. And I said, piss off. So I kept going, got down to the city and I uh, had them lined up to sack them. They were sacking about 11 that day. So went along to see them, wanted their job saved. And got into the interview and then just broke down, started bawling like a baby. And uh, the HR was really good. They just bundled me up and got me out the door. And, and so I said, I'll be right. It's almost like you go on automatic. You know, you've got this fail-safe happening. So I went down into the square and I went over to the doctors, told the doctor what was going on. And he said, you need a secretary. And I said, yeah, good luck with that. And he said, well, have three weeks off. He threw me out the door. So I had three weeks off and uh, come back after that. And I should have gone and got some treatment, but I didn't. just batted on. And uh, it hit me about oh, another two years later, 18 months later, it got me. I uh, didn't actually break down, but I um, had blood tests were all over the place, all sorts of weird things going on. And... The doc said to me, you've got mild depression. I said, oh, only mild. Well, that's good. So he said, you'll have to have three months off. And I thought, "Mm, that's the kiss of death in my game. So I thought, well, I'll take it off. And I did. And uh, I came back after three months and the manager's job was gone. I thought, well, if I get out of this job and get into the manager's job from the industrial work, I can be in control of my own destiny. I'll be the boss. And that went all right for four years. And, uh, but ultimately, I just ran out of steam. I ran out of ideas and I just, mentally tired, I just couldn't go on. So um, the doc said to me, You know, if you were a dog, I'd put you down. So I went and did my sums, had my super. So I got out at 56 and uh, still got sicker and sicker. Anyway, long story short, uh, I had an ulcerated hernia, which nearly killed me. But Fortunately I'd gone on the disability payment and, uh, and got better and I wasn't giving it back till I retired. So. <laughs> but I had outside interests, you know, fishing and music and everything, so that's a, a bit of a, a bonus. But in the job itself, dealing, dealing with the members, their medical reports, their mental problems, uh, you get a, a really good insight into some of the dramas that can happen. I've seen a couple of my colleagues uh, go really into deep depression. uh, Never came back from it. Uh, I've seen a lot of the mates with PTSD from uh, Vietnam, etc. And uh, fortunately, I was never as bad as that. But you certainly um, you you never get over it. Never get over it. It's it's always with you, and you have days. And uh, one of the classics is you you never go anywhere you, you want to go and that, when the time comes you don't go you find a reason not to go and if you push through that and you get there then you want to come home again straight away so there's sort of quirks that you've got to work through all the time um, drinking didn't help much um, I'd already mastered drinking so it didn't really worry me that much but, uh, so, um, so you don't drink anymore? Uh, no less either You know, but uh, I don't drink like I used to it's more of a social thing if I go to a folk festival, yeah it's like block release, you'll get pissed for a week, you know, and then mightn't drink again for another fortnight a month um,
0: yeah but okay that's thanks for sharing that jim it's uh I think a lot of men who watch this a lot of men think that you know there's that myth of men don't have mental health issues, but why do you think that's around and 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 how, how do you know that it's definitely not true
1: I don't no, so much that they don't think they've got mental health. I don't think they, uh, your body doesn't let you know. Like, I didn't know. Everybody else knew. I didn't know. Um, and as I said, I was having a great time. I was on a mission. I thought, this is great, you know, running around the countryside playing God. And uh, it, you didn't see what was taken out of your body, you know, like driving i drive all night to the next courthouse in the next town and then have to drive again back to Sydney for another court. It, you know, it just knocks the hell out of you all the time. And then you're eating crap food, you're not sleeping properly, and you are run down. And uh, depression's about fight or flight, you know, and if you're locked in and you can't do anything about it, uh, say in a war situation, which is really bad, uh, then your body goes into meltdown. Um, And being locked in, it could be just at work and you can't get out because your super's too good or your entitlements or you're that old, you couldn't get another job or you're just held in place and you've got to put up with the stress of it. That's basically what does it to you. But uh, there are signs and um, we've got a chap in the shed that's been going to the courses at the moment and he'll ring people up and talk to them, talk them through stuff if you notice a change in their pattern or whatever, uh, similar to our old president. We could notice he wasn't. The lights had gone out, basically. Um, yeah.
0: So I can relate to that feeling of loving what you're doing and not realizing what you're doing to yourself. I <laughs> worked on a documentary project where we travelled for a year and worked yeah. sixteen yeah. hours a day every day of that year, except yeah. for two days—my birthday and my partner's, my wife's birthday. It took yeah. half a day off, so like a full year of work and loving it, doing it, and it wasn't until we got back that you go oh god, I've got stomach ulcers, I've got mouth ulcers, you know, <laughs> I can't bloody exercise. and
1: My health's gone to crap. Yeah, man. how did you
0: feel like when it hit you, they're like, oh, I can't keep going like this?
1: No, nah, hypnotherapy helped me a lot. Um, they uh, He wound me down that far, I had to go back and see him wind me up again because I didn't give a shit if the ceiling fell in. You know? I was <laughs> laid back in the end, but uh, I'd go to put stuff in the briefcase to take it home and it was like an electric shock. I wouldn't... I'd leave the work at work and go home. It's like when you go to bed, sleeping uh, go to sleep thinking about work, and wake up thinking about work. You got nothing in the middle. It's just work, work, work. And um so it ends up. I can remember when I was at home and I had moved into the spare bedroom because I just wake up crying during the night for some reason. And um, I come out one morning and the wife's standing there and she's fixed me with a steely gaze and she said to me. You know, you used to make me laugh once now you're just an arsehole. And I've gone, oh, thanks for your ongoing support, you know, and other words. And, but what it made me think about was that I hadn't laughed. I couldn't remember the last time I really laughed at anything. And I, I heard that from another guy that left work at the same time. Uh, I went around and seen him and see how he was going. And he said, I'm here six weeks waiting to hear me fate from work. I'm watching these stupid sitcoms, and he said I started to laugh at one the other day, and I hadn't laughed in ages. So uh, there's something in that as a telltale sign as well.
0: How did you work through that when you're at your toughest time to get back to a point where you can laugh again?
1: <coughs> well, it takes time. It's like paddling up a creek up the wrong branch in the river, and you've got to go all the way back down again. So it takes a long time to get out of it, and you've just got to be patient with it. Um, and my daughter's currently going through it, uh, it's been 12 months now and I reckon another 12 months before she gets anywhere near where she ought to be to be able to function properly. It's just uh, uh, just like they call the black dog when the black dog visits, you know, you just have days where you just can't get it together and I'm in the folk scene and it's really good because a lot of people in the folk scene uh, do suffer from depression. And we often have a black dog day where we just get together and get pissed. <laughs> talk about it. We don't, we don't want anything from each other, but uh, we find a bit of common ground, a bit of music and that.
0: Yeah. I think the funny thing is the, like, getting pissed with mates, it's that softens it so it allows people to talk. I guess they don't feel comfortable. Like you said, you went to your mate's house, took a bottle and, and had a chat. Do you mm. think it was having that chat that was what he needed?
1: I got him to the doc and got him diagnosed. Once he understood he had a problem, um, then we worked on. Well, he worked on that and drove me mad with workers' comp documents and court cases. I gave him, and uh, anyway, it was going all right for a couple of months. And then his wife rang up and said he won't leave the house. He won't leave the premises. Physically, he won't go out of the house. And so I had to drive down there and talk to him again. And he wanted to go and fish some lakes in Queensland. He had these lakes for Barra and I mentioned that to him and I looked away and next thing you know the table's covered in dog-eared magazines and books and maps and he's talking about this and she's got a funny look on her face saying looks like you're going to Queensland yeah I go Jesus my car my boat you know had a great time eating looking out the window you know we never caught a fish (laughs) the mongrel next thing you know he's going to Cook Islands with his mates sight casting for fish I never got an invite, <laughs> you know, which is symptomatic too. Uh, often when you're in depression, uh, people will reach out to someone on the edge of the circle rather than in their circle. I'll talk to someone outside it that they think they can and having done that and got going, and they'll often uh, isolate them and not talk to them because of embarrassment,
0: I think. What would you recommend? What strategies would you recommend from getting to that? And the you know Your lowest point to... And I guess it's that it never ends because you're always kind of working with it. But what are some strategies that you, what are some of the things you did?
1: Oh, I don't know about strategies. Um, I always had the fishing, camping. Uh, I've got mates with friends and relatives with properties and I was into shooting. So it was never a problem getting away and doing something. Um, And the folk scene, we actually, not long after I left, we started a three-piece band and was traveling around the countryside. We did all the folk festivals, and uh, and really, band politics is far worse than depression, I can tell you. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> unbelievable, but it was good fun. We went for about five years and um, before it sort of uh, wound down, but um, it was still good trends, we had good times. What instrument do you play? I back then only played harmonica, just self-taught. When I worked for a council, I run a filtration plant, and uh, I thought you'd spend a lot of time in the concrete tower uh, doing nothing. So I thought I'd teach myself the harmonica on council time.
0: <laughs> Government supported? <laughs> well, it took
1: 12 months, <laughs> but I, I think I got there. But uh, <laughs> since then, I've found out that melodians, button accordions, are the same as harmonicas. So I've taken them up. So keep busy with that, keep your mind going, and then you get what they call gas, that's gear acquisition syndrome, so I've got 25 accordions, you know.
0: I know about that. I've Hundreds
1: got, of harmonicas.
0: got about four cameras. Four cameras. I've got way too many well, know, lights and cables. And...
1: That's my uh, email is uh, many rods, uh, because I had 96 fishing rods, and my mate's got three tackle boxes, so he was Alan many lures. <laughs> How many of those rods did you use? Uh, oh, I a purpose, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: so going th- having your experience, do you think that helps you now in your role with the men's shed in talk, talking and dealing with these men who were having issues?
1: Mostly, um blokes are pretty good about it when they get there, you know. They talk, I think we're going to have a show meds day, you know, we can have a, bring in what you've got and see if we can't do a bit of black market swap, you know, because I said to one of the guys the other day, I said, I don't know what you're on, but I want some. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I'll, I'll talk to you later. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. But I guess at least you under, you can understand what they're going through. You can understand that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Some men can't under or, you know, aren't, won't admit that you know, you you can right. have a tough time.
1: Yeah, it it's like the cancer brings its own depression. Mm-hmm. And you see quite a bit of that where they get very depressed. But uh it's in good company and uh We've lost a few from the shed over the years, and uh, we'll probably lose a whole lot eventually. But in the interim, at least you can relate to them. And I think it's a—it's set up for men's health. It's set up to be able to talk. It's, I don't know what it is with men that they don't want to talk about it or whatever. I think it's just in the makeup.
0: Yeah. And as you said, leave ego at the door, so everyone gets along in in the shed mostly. For the Gen- most part. Yeah,
1: generally do, and. Uh, Generally, if someone's got a set on somebody, it's generally because they've got the wrong perception or they haven't spoken it, talk through it, you know. So my job is to go around the various sections and make sure smooth the water, put oil on rough water and uh, ask why various things happen. Some of them get a little bit possessive about their patch, you know, and rightfully so because some blokes come in there and don't know how to use the equipment and break it and, yeah...
0: What do you think are the benefits of talking about this stuff as a man?
1: Oh, I think it uh, just gives you insight. Um, just uh, In the break just then, uh, uh, a friend who houses is uh, related that business of not wanting to go, and then you do go, you want to come home again. Uh, he, he realised that he's gone through that himself. And uh, those sorts of common issues... Uh, you know waking up, crying during the night, not knowing why, blubbering away there, and your mind's on automatic, you know you're walking around making a cup of coffee, watching t v but uh, the rest of it's just a shambles you can't you can't string a line of thought together, you just can't get it out um, which is really one of the main problems. Um, takes a long time to get back into it, like I would sit down and write twenty pages of legal argument for a case, I'd be lucky to write my name now. <laughs> I could maybe do a page or two, but it's just gone. Um, I just can't. As soon as I try and go back to it, your mind won't let you. Mm. There's an art been there. I'm not doing that again. Well, oh, that's trauma. That's yeah, trauma. Small
0: level of PTSD.
1: Yeah, it's um, it just stops you from doing it. So uh, you go and find other things to do where your mind hasn't been yet, and try and get through it that way. Like join the men's shed. <laughs> I mean, if you want entertainment, <laughs> forty old blokes in a shed, you get a lot of fun. <laughs> There's a lot of laughs down there.
0: What advice would you give someone who's watching this video um, and they're feeling like you felt, you know, they're overworked, they don't know what to do. What what advice would you give to them?
1: Well, I think you've got to stop and take stock. I mean, you do know it, but uh, the pressures of uh, being locked in positions, say with your job, your age, your type of work that you do, um, your superannuation, A lot of that overrides your common sense in regard to your body saying to you, look, you're not good. You know, you've got all these health issues going on. One of the common things that i got, I was constantly going to a chiropractor for back problems. Uh, doing a lot of driving too, but uh, every fortnight I'd be out there getting my back straightened up because your muscles are tensing up and pulling your back out. And uh, after I was off for the three months, I don't think I went to a chiropractor for the next 12, 18 months. those telltale signs are something that you can look for. And then if it's the case, you should stop and go and see a counsellor of some sort or sit down and do a, a check. Uh, one of the other things you've got is you can do mind mapping where you just uh, write down all your problems that's going on and then go through and cross out what's not important. Or you can write down why you're not getting time to spend time with the kids, why your wife thinks you're a mongrel. Um, why you don't see your mates at the pub or don't enjoy yourself anymore, etc., cetera, what's interfering with it, and, uh, and sort of cross it off and narrow the field down to say, well, look, I think I need to take a second look at what I'm doing. And uh, one of the things I said to the boss was, I've got too much work. I've got more work than the other blokes. and I'm, I'm driving all the way up to DY and Pitwater from Campbelltown every day. I said, God, four hours in a car just to get there and back, or well, eight hours some days. I said, I'm not crossing the creek anymore. I'm not going over the ditch. And he said, well, I'll sack you. And I said, yeah, good, do it. That'll make me happy. (laughs) Anyway, he didn't. But um, I tried to cut back and count. It didn't help much. Still had heaps to do. still going to be more. So you can only try. I mean, you you do know it's happening. And you've got to really stop, think hard about it. Talk to your wife about it. She generally knows what's going on. and when I went and seen one of the psychiatrists, uh, she asked me that whether my parents uh, ever abused me as a child. And I said, everybody my age got abused by their parents physically uh, as a way of punishment. And uh, my dad was a drunk, and he would pick you up by one arm and flog you with whatever was handy. And that could be a tomato steak, a jug, cord, or in one case, a lump of three quarter water pipe. And then he'd put you down. If you stood up, he'd pick you up and give you another serve. So you learnt to lay down. Screamer our Mum and come and hit him with a broom. But as a father, he never gave us any direction, any support, any uh, coping mechanisms. Uh, he never gave you any levels of uh, uh, how to interact in society or fit in. It was all a bloody mystery, you know. You had to learn you, find your own way. I mean, Mum was a saint, but uh, raising three big ugly sons who... Uh, we're generally um, urban terrorists by that time. We, the shit we got up to should have been locked up, but they couldn't catch us. Um, so, um, and one of them was that bad. He turned out to be a policeman, you know, and the other one ended up in jail, but I was in the middle. So, but you don't, you don't get that support from the parents in those relationships, and looking back at him, I realise I've read six of his letters he wrote from uh, Darwin during the war when it was being bombed, and he was there for a, a long time getting bombed as a dispatch rider. And clearly he was post-traumatic, um, and he spent all the time at the pub. He was comfortable with his mates. He was in all the lodges, you know, ne- not a home person. And so I think there's a gap in the coping mechanism that you're raised up with, in, uh, maybe in comparison to what this generation might have had or what I afforded our generation. I mean, you grew up in that environment. Uh, uh, hugs were, uh, you never got any hugs, you know. You just didn't go near anyone. You'd, you're not a touchy-feely person because of that. The love wasn't forthcoming. Any time you went near Dad, he'd knock your ass over head, so Or he'd berate you or put you down in front of his friend, your own friends and that sort of thing. So um, it, it just leaves you without coping mechanisms that you don't understand until you get older and you look back um, but and I think that does reflect on because then you're trying to overachieve in your job and you're, you're trying to push yourself all the time and become something rather than him. You've got a family and a couple of kids you suddenly got to lift your game and, uh, and try and achieve and I think that's what you do you try harder to not be a dad you know you're still drinking but you don't want to drink like he did you want to take the kids away for a holiday or whatever and try and have some interaction with them. Um, yeah, uh,
0: definitely. Uh, last one, Jim, I just want to ask, what do you think is a myth about male mental health? A myth? A myth, yeah. Something that a lot of people are thinking, but it just isn't true. Oh.
1: Yeah, well, in regard to uh, the myths associated with it, oh, it's it's a, it's a question that's wide open. I mean, honestly... Uh, It's not the end of the world. There is a way out of it, and with good care and medical treatment and the company of others that you can discuss things with, I think you can get back to somewhere where you used to be. Um, A friend up in Queensland who got PTSD from the war, he said it was like, like the light come on when it was all read out to him what he'd been doing all his life, the alcoholism and constant moving. He said he hopped on his Harley and he rode to Perth and, uh, and back again just to clear his head and he got, got a whole new direction in life once he had it explained to him. So making yourself conversant with what the problem can be or even that you might be going down that track would be a big help.
0: Thank you for tuning in. A huge thank you to our guest. Make sure you head to wearemen.com.au for more information about the project and for a list of services that are available to men out there who want to learn how to be a man who talks. See you guys next week.